Hello and welcome to PM Podcast, a session that sees us take a regular walk in and around the world of transformation, agile, PMOs, change management, and a host of subjects in between. Each podcast will include a short discussion and tips presented by our subject matter experts in the industry. And today's podcast, we're going to be talking around uh, governance and scaling the multimodal PMO in this new agile world that we're living in. With that, I'd like to welcome our guests, Christine Harrison, Grant Moore, and Stan Belikoff. Before I jump into discussion with, with them, just a little bit of background behind Christine, um, Stan, and Grant. I've had the, the pleasure of working with them through my agile journey as I've learned along the way. Six odd years ago, we, we started the um, transformation survey and this thing, Agile, popped up. At that time, there was, there was quite a bit of uncertainty about what it was, and there was only about 3 to 5% of the market. Christine, I've known for many, many years. Christine comes from a traditional background, and I'll, I'll let her share some of her experiences there, but she was managing one of the largest Agile transformations in, the, in Australia at the time, over 500 million and came in it from a traditional perspective and had to learn through the process of what being agile was all about. Has been working with a number of clients on their agile journeys subsequent to that. Stan, I met a couple of years ago at a client and he had done some amazing things with transformation, uh, specifically in, in South Africa, um, where he had taken an organization from pretty much standing standing point to disrupting the, the financial services market. And I think they, they went from sort of zero to X million customers within only a few years using agile pr principles to get there. And Grant has spent the last six years in Brazil as a CIO for a organization that was, was adapt or die with regards to transforming from an agile perspective in the media industry and has been running 40-plus teams of Agile teams and 10 or 20-odd DevOps teams. So it's going to be quite a rich conversation. These questions that we're going to cover today were all identified through the Transformation PMO survey, and common themes just kept coming up with regards to how do you manage or govern in a multimodal world, which is most organizations. I mean, there's a few out there that are just Agile, but most are having to deal with their legacy as well as their current so I'm going, to, um, I'm going to open it up with why is governance still so important in this multimodal world today? Christine, do you want to give us a view on, on your views on governance and the importance of it? Yeah, look, for me, it doesn't matter how we're delivering. You've still got to know how am I going. And the governance that's uh, used in Agile or even used in Waterfall should be all around being able to measure where you're up to. So it's as simple as that for me. You're delivering a project, you've got to know, where am I up to? So I've heard a lot of stuff around you don't need as much governance in Agile, you don't need PMOs, you don't need governance, uh, we're okay. What, what's your views on that? Uh, I'd say anybody that uh, lives by that is going to die by that and <laughs> uh, not go so well. Um, I, I think part of the attraction of Agile uh, for people who are, are genuinely uninitiated is thinking that there is no documentation, uh, no rules, and that you can do whatever you like. And that's just simply not true. Uh, there is um, ways of governing uh, within Agile and there are ways of governing within Waterfall. Um, what a lot of PMOs are probably um, doing themselves a disservice with is thinking that you can use the old measuring stick 
that you were using in Waterfall on Agile, and that just simply doesn't work. You know, so so there's absolutely a place um, for PMOs or, or for a role. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a PMO, but for someone uh, to be able to measure how's our project going and to have some, um, you know, some guidelines and some norms or, you know, governance, if you want to call it, so that everybody on, you know, particularly on large programs, um, knows, you know, cadences and, and knows, you know, the norms that you work on in that world. Stan, your experiences with governance? I know you've done some big stuff at some of the larger organisations. Yeah, I think the first thing we need to uh, think through is the, is the change in the conversation around it's not traditional versus waterfall anymore. It's all about how do we deliver better value. And if you think about that, if you go back to the fundamentals, even the fundamentals of Agile, the fundamentals of, of traditional delivery, there are always accountabilities and people who need to make decisions and people who need to own the outcomes and people who need to who need to make sure the outcomes are there. It doesn't matter which method you use, there's always a role, whether you're talking about product owners, scrum masters, whether you're talking about project managers or sponsors, or in every method you got, it's the same thing. And it's, it's bringing those together that you have always somebody who's accountable, always somebody who's going to do the delivery, and always somebody who's going to manage the cash. <laughs> Reality is, we got to know where we are, we got to know we're delivering the benefits. So regardless, governance is just fundamental. Grant, do you got any thoughts on governance? Yes, I, I firmly believe that governance has a place. Um, at the end of the day, you're delivering a new business capability, which is ultimately going to help the greater organisation improve its bottom line. At the end of the day, the executives are interested in three things. Have I got my business capability on time within budget, irrespective of the delivery framework, whether it's agile or waterfall? So you have to create the mechanisms for whatever that delivery framework is to roll up and give that same three lens perspective to the executives. So you're saying that on time and on budget are still important factors in the game? Absolutely. Because I hear a lot of sort of agile speak around when when we're not focused on that stuff anymore, that's history. No, you are still focused on that. The business capability, the specification of it, might have some course corrections more regularly because you effectively, if you're running two-week sprints or three-month product increments, you're actually getting those feedback loops in from the business and the customers and you've got an opportunity to make that course correction to keep aligned, especially with the digital markets that we're now in and the digital economy. And, and I've seen um, there's a lot of feedback in the system around challenges with implementing government governance. Have you um, seen any or experienced any anything you could share with, uh, with everyone? I think the, the challenges are cultural, but I think a lot of it comes back to, at the end of the day, whether it's waterfall or agile, you want to empower the teams to do the right thing by you. I think what a lot of waterfall project managers, even program managers, slip into is they slip into this control command sort of culture and then they lose the, the benefits of an empowered team to make decisions. What Agile strongly promotes is a servant leadership culture, which I think is still appropriate in a waterfall environment as well, but it encourages that and it encourages more collaboration and discussions with the customer or the business part of the business you're delivering into to make sure that you're getting that alignment into the actual need as you go along. It's not design all up front 
and then control and command right the way through to the end. It's continuous conversations about where are we going, what's the journey, has everything, anything changed, do we need to have course corrections? Christine, you got any views on uh, sort of culture and getting governance to stick in this new world? There's probably two things for me. Um, firstly, you only want to be uh, pushing governance, if you want to call it that, um, where, where it actually matters, you know, and where it's, it's meaningful and it adds some value to the actual delivery. Um, Grant and I were having a conversation only a couple of weeks ago and a project team were talking about their deliverables and everything they were talking about was a document. You know, so it was a template from out of a framework and basically what they were looking at delivering was about two inches of paper, you know, whereas the real thing that they were delivering had been completely lost. You know, so you're delivering a new system or a new capability or, you know, you're not delivering just bits of paper. So you want to make sure that whatever people are doing and, you know, any, any footprint that you have onto them is for meaningful reasons and it's, it's helping them be successful in delivery. Um, where I've seen things um, not stick or, or particularly around Agile, the governance that they're promoting to teams be really unsuccessful is where PMOs haven't educated themselves um, around Agile and that they have tried to use their waterfall stick to measure Agile and it, it just simply doesn't work. It's, it's completely meaningless and I think we've got a few nodding heads around the table but um, there are plenty of instances where people have tried that and you'll, you'll have agile, you know, agileists saying to traditional PMO people, you know, you, you can't govern me, don't come near me. Um, you can govern them, you just need to approach them with the right tools. Stan, I see you smiling. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's quite important to, to note that I, you know, I always go back to the basics again, back, back to the fundamentals. And the first part of governance is accountability at, at the executive level. And, 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 and the two key things is, am I going to show up as an executive to show that I, am, I, I actually want this program to succeed? And it goes back to the comment made earlier about, about servant leadership. When it comes to governance, it doesn't matter whether it's a waterfall or, or, or agile, it's all about servant leadership. What am I doing as an executive to ensure that this program is going to be successful? You've got to ask yourself, that's a simple question. If you can't answer that question, should you be doing the governance role? And that's really the so that's really the fundamentals. And embedding that in an organisation is sometimes really difficult, but it goes back to many many years of study. If the governance and the people aren't being accountable and not connected to the program or project, you lose traction. And that's just you know we know fifty to sixty percent of 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 percentage of failure comes from that. And if you just get that right, it's a beginning of of of, a, of the beginning of the journey, not not the end, but the beginning. And and how much role does the exec have in this journey? On a program, oh, as I said, 60 to 70%. And they're not committed. The, the chances of failure are significant. And and uh, we see that everywhere. The biggest, the biggest impact is just lack of engagement, and lack of commitment from an executive who sits in governance. Chances of failure, big. Why do you think there is that gap in engagement and commitment? Oh, there are a number of reasons basing on the type of culture. No organisation is the same. Um, so, you know, different things happen, but some examples are just generally just too busy. As an, in, as an individual, I've got a lot of work to do on a day-to-day -day basis and I'm not putting the time aside to make sure the project's going because I'm, I'm um, 
saying the program manager, program director, you're accountable, make it happen, and I'm trusting you. But those things just don't work. Uh, you, you need to make the time, and if you can't make the time, then you need to, and you need to be able to give um, uh, give somebody else the the opportunity or the accountability to to to, to do the governance. Now, Grant, you've you've had the experience of working with good and bad execs, and I think the guys in Brazil were pretty good. Yep. Well, we were very lucky. We had a CEO who had swallowed the Kool-Aid and he basically sponsored everything. He educated himself and put a lot of effort into that. And he made sure that all the C-level and all about two or three levels down were all highly educated in the basics of frameworks, metrics, what it really meant, what they had to do culturally, what the HR department might have to do to drive some different behavioural outcomes, he drove that. But that's unique. I think a lot of people, as Stan has said, they just think, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to do this and I won't have to do anything. Um, you know, you want something different, but you, but you have the same behaviours. Well, that doesn't work. You've got to actually change your way of thinking at the top to sponsor getting a different outcome. Yeah, you hear the concept of bottom-up agile a lot. Um, and then sort of top down with leadership buying and all those good things. And it sounds like getting the leadership buying is, is almost mandatory if you're attempting a transformation. You have to get that sponsorship. You may get good ideas come up out of the coalface of people doing things, even operating the business, but ultimately to get it to go forward and get it get these ideas embenched, entrenched in the business, you have to have an executive sponsor to really make it happen and drive it forward. And it has to be active sponsorship. It can't be, oh, yes, I'm sponsoring this and stand back and not do the hard work. You've actually got to roll up the sleeves and get in there. So the days of the exec sponsoring and going, I'm going to buy some training, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and off you go and be agile, um, that's no, not the way. No, they're just doing some training and getting an under theoretical understanding, that's, that's part of the journey, that's nice, but the next step is for them to actually roll up their sleeves and get in there and understand how does this actually work in my business to ultimately deliver the outcomes I'm looking for. But I'd like to connect the previous conversation to this one. It's a program. If you don't have an executive engaged, if we don't know what we're trying to achieve, chances of failure are 60 to 75%. Yep. Simple. Totally okay, agree. If you, a transformation is a program. At the end of the day, that's what you've got to keep it at the same pace. If you do that, if you prioritize, you don't, you do prioritization and the transformation sits at number 65,002, you're not going to transform, right? You need to have a transformation. It needs to be well prioritized, well supported, well funded. That's the only way it's going to happen. Those are great points. Um, just moving on, um, fr from a reporting perspective and governance perspective, has the execs' views changed? I mean, Christine, you've, you've been involved in sort of major, major programs of work where I'm assuming now we're agile, the execs want a totally different view of the world? No, they don't. Um, they still want to know exactly the same things. Uh, when do I get my stuff? How much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? Um, so back to Grant's earlier point, um, that's what they want to know. Um, with Agile, you will get some curious execs who might want to get a little bit closer to metrics and understand how it's underpinned. But when it comes to actually receiving a report on how a project's going, they'd rather see what they've always seen. They don't need a brand new format, uh, you know, a whole different set of metrics. They don't, a lot of them don't, they're not even interested in learning that. You know, they don't really care how you're delivering, they just want to know that you are. 
So um, for, for, for us in the world that I was in, I had, um, you know, a variety of different executives that were constantly looking at um, a waterfall-style report that they looked at for, you know, the last 20 years, and we didn't change it. We just made sure that we fed that report and that what they were reading was the truth. And, and so how do you pull it from a, a, your teams, your agile teams are doing stuff, how, how do you then get that into that waterfall look and feel or delivering the right messages? Yeah, look, our organisation had um, a particular look and feel. It had been designed for waterfall, but that didn't mean that it couldn't be used for agile. So at the team level, we used agile metrics to measure how we were going. We looked at things like velocity and cumulative flow and, you know, um, the commitment for the team, you know, that sort of stuff. And then we would translate into executive speak and put that uh, report in front of them. But we've all done a translating role you know, for the last 20 or 30 years in Waterfall. You can't put a whole bunch of acronyms and have all this techno speak in a report and then put that in front of a CEO. They're going to say, what the hell does that mean? When am I going to get my stuff? How long is it going to take? What's it going to cost? So you've always got to do, you know, that interpretation between what's happening at the coalface and what you're reporting to your execs. So that translation and interpretation function from whether you call it a PMO or whatever it is, that that still exists? Yeah, yeah, somebody's got to do that. Yeah, Stan, you're smiling again. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Services don't go away. Fundamentals don't go away. I still Mm. got to do the reporting. Um, And um, people have called them portfolio portfolio analysis. They've called it PMOs, the Mm. EPMO, a whole lot of different naming of the trade. Reporting analytics, analytics in there. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of uh, um, conversation around what do you call it, but it's still the same service. I've still got to provide the right information to the right people. And again, you know, we talk about engagement of the of, of the executives, but it comes back to the same thing. Bad uh, stakeholder engagement, bad stakeholder expectations, and again, failure. So that whole governance and expectation is still absolutely critical to make any transformation successful. The other thing that um, has been popping up quite a bit as we've been in conversations with PMOs and execs is the, the metrics thing. Right. So all of a sudden, a year ago, no one was talking about metrics. Now everybody's talking about metrics. What's changed? Why, why is metrics all of a sudden so important? I'll go first, but um, I think it's always been important. I think what you're seeing is um, the next step in maturity for Agile, particularly probably you know in our world, which is sort of more the, the, the Sydney-Melbourne market. But um, it's always been important. So if you get in and around teams that have been, you know, um, being agile for a while and are, you know, fairly well uh, embedded and along their maturity framework, they'll, they will have started to use metrics. For me, I use it as an acid test in a lot of places. You know, if I'm talking to different project people who tell me that they're agile, one of the first things I will ask them is, can I see your metrics? You know, and if I get a kind of a bit of a garbled, oh, yeah, well, we're not that kind of agile answer, I know that they're really early on their journey and that there's work to do to get them to understand why you would use them and why they're important. Look, I mean, in Brazil, we started using metrics fairly early on. There was a big pushback against using the metrics. People thought they would individually, as individuals or teams, they would be measured and compared like for an HR performance evaluation, which was not the case at all, what I think the metrics opens up the opportunity for is every two weeks there's a conversation with the business stakeholders to say, is this what you expected? Is this leading to the outcome that you ultimately want? How are we going? Where's the blockers? Where's the dependencies that we need to call out? Where's the risks? How are we going to mitigate the risks? 
So to me, it opens up some, a lot of transparency for conversations to actually make sure that you keep aligned with what that executive wants and ultimately what the customer wants if you're in a volatile digital market as well. And to continuously improve. Yeah. You know, you, these, are, these are guideposts to say, you know, if you did a little bit of something here, a little bit of something there, you know, you might be able to deliver more and more frequently. The, the, the one comment I'd make is um, a lot of PMOs out there and program people for that, that, that matter uh, don't actually understand the metrics when they're put in front of them, um, which creates a bit of a problem in the market the way I see it. Um, I don't know, Christine, have you seen a similar sort of thing? Um, yeah, I've, I've seen it. So I've seen some areas not using metrics at all, um, some feeling a little threatened, the way Grant explained it when the, when the metrics did come. Um, get some help, you know. Yeah. Um, a couple of um, uh, agile pieces that I've been on, but particularly when we were transforming, we had people come in and help us and um, they explained why the metrics were important and why we would u- we'd use them. They're not, um, it's not conceptually hard. You know, it's not like, um, you know, logarithms when you're at school, you don't need a calculator. It's, 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 it's not that horrible, Matt. Um, it's pretty simple stuff. And once you do begin to understand it, you start to see the power of it, you know, and the power of it is that it can highlight um, things that are happening in your project that you're not even aware of. And that, um, you know, I look at it as a whole set of levers that you can pull to get an even better result than what you had before. And I know you've been spending quite a bit of time with various organisations and educating them on how they can pull those levers better. Um, and, and that's a, it's not a big piece of work for them, are they? As you said, it's, it's something they can pick up quite quickly. Yeah, look, it is. It's the cultural piece that um, that's normally the stopper for that. Um, and it's about people feeling threatened and thinking that that's going to be that's how they're going to be measured and there'll be failure and and whatever else. Um, and it's trying to cut through that and to say no, that's not what this is about. This is about trying to help your team um, improve. And that by looking at these really simple metrics, you can get insights that you never would have seen if you didn't look. Stan, you've uh, yep. experiences on this. Yeah, look, I think a few, a few things. I think the first of all, I think the one point about maturity. It's not just maturity; it's also the combination of the fact that um, executives haven't always seen the success of agile, and that's really, really be- because the introduction of agile has been done in a maybe a singular fashion, and it's not adapted to the organisation a lot, or not integrated into the complexity of an organization and therefore we get so so a lot of executives saying hold on a second are we getting benefit so metrics now become fundamental if we can't do metrics um we you're not going to survive in 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 the world anymore so you need to that's the so the urgency now to do uh, that is really now becoming a reality the other thing that people forget is actually and going back to what christine's saying if you really do understand measure metrics in the agile world, the metrics are actually much stronger, and they're because you're talking about a real fact. Not, you know, you're not talking about a lot of guesswork um, in the in the traditional space. So that so so they're two very there's a there's a yin and a yang, right? There's a pressure that we've got to now actually report. We can't just hope hope we're going to be good. But the other hand is actually, if you get the data right, it's really powerful. Grant, you got any? Yeah, look, I totally agree with what Stan says, and I think. If you do metrics right, you can collect 10, 11, 12 base metrics at the project team level. And then from that, you can derive project program portfolio metrics with multiple different lenses across the same data. 
as it, as it rolls up and you can get some very powerful insights at every le level, team, project, program, portfolio, enterprise as well. Um, as long as you get a standardisation of the way that's approached, but you can get some very powerful insights very early uh, which can show the benefits or hang on a minute, we need a bit of a course correction. You get that insight very fast and you should be able to set it up in an environment or a tool that you want those metrics to be available in real time as well. Um, gone are the days where it's really acceptable in the fast-moving digital economy we're in where you might collect a set of metrics and then cut and paste and manipulate and three weeks later present it to a PCG because by the time it gets to those executives, it's out of date. So you really want to go into those PCG meetings and literally click a link in front of them and show them the real-time metrics data and the analysis around that. And is there tooling to support this sort of stuff? Is yes, there, there are. There's right. international companies that do the tooling. Um, just pick one. And, and a, a governance layer? I know that there's been a lot of tooling done at the team layer, but what, what about governance? So, yes, there's tooling from various vendors out there in the global market at the team level. What you've got to be careful with Agile is that um, a lot of it is focused around software development, but in fact a lot of projects in our businesses are actually business-oriented shared services. So the business capability is a shared service capability or a customer-facing capability. It's not all about just the software development component. Sure, that's important, but there are other layers in the greater stack that contribute to the greater business capability. We, we also touched uh, um, on, on dependencies. Um, and this, again, this is a topic that pops up again and again with regards to sort of the larger enterprises out there and them dealing with, you know, both waterfall and traditional environments and multimodal and how they manage dependencies in this complex world. Stan, uh, what, what has your experience been in the dependency? So the first part of my experience is that, again, because of the nature of where Agile has been implemented in a lot of organisations, there hasn't been that initial conversation around how do we manage dependencies. It's all been one. And if you look at some of the methodologies out there, they want to structure the organisation or the teams in a way that they reduce the dependencies. Unfortunately, that's not a reality in a large organisation. You do always have those dependencies. That's a reality and that's love. So if you want to truly be able to have a mechanism that you're going to scale up in an organization, that means the more of the organization drives agility and is more agile as an organization, you need to be able to you need to be able to manage dependencies. And again, going back to the going back to the traditional way you manage dependencies, well, end of the day, I have a I have somebody, I have a, another project, another team, another piece of technology that I'm reliant on, or vice versa. I have to have a mechanism that tracks a piece of work that says I'm reliant on somebody else or they are reliant on me. And there are many ways to do that. In Agile, in Agile environment, we do that in, in, in slightly different ways. We, we can do it in technology as well as we do it in the, in the forums and the, and, the, uh, and, the, uh, and the environment. So whether you're doing it in a stand-up, whether you're doing it in a scrum of scrums, or whether you're doing it in your, in your governance scrum you are bringing all the dependencies into there. But, and in those environments, you have people who can address those dependent conversations. So you're including in your Scrum or Scrum, so your governance Scrum, somebody from another in, organ, another business unit, another technology division, who are you are dependent on. So you use the forums and use technology combined to actually bring the people together to be able to drive those dependencies. 
And ultimately, you need to still, the same as in Waterfall, you still need to be somehow able to call out what is my critical path. Um, and the final question is around strategy and uh, this multimodal world and agile and all these good things, which is how do you continually keep that connection between the strategy of the organization and then what we're doing with the work to actually change the business? Is that, has that changed fundamentally? No, not for me it hasn't. Um, we, you know, you have an executive sponsor and they're normally part of that strategic conversation and they'd be tying, you know, back any changes to strategy to, to your program at all times, be it Agile or Waterfall. I think probably one of the advantages of Agile is that you've got a backlog. Um, it's continually being prioritised, you know, on a, on a, a weekly or two-weekly basis so that if there are significant changes, you're able to pivot pretty quickly, you know. And, and the great thing, uh, I think, with the backlog is you, you haven't always... You don't start everything. You know, you start the most important things and then you've got your next, you know, maybe the backlog's 1 to 10, you start 1 to 3. Uh, you'll move on to 4, 5 and 6 when you've finished 1, 2 and 3. Well, if something happens strategically and suddenly 5 and 6 aren't important, well, you'll go 4, 7, 8. You know, and there could be an 11, 12 and a 13 that's added. But but it gives you that flexibility to make those changes. I think uh, depending how you were delivering waterfall, if it was a, a big bang sort of thing and you're a fair way in, you've probably started everything. You know, so there are some advantages there. But, you know, I think over the years, um, even before Agile become prevalent, you know, even within our waterfall worlds, if you look at some of the lessons that we've taken on board, there's been a, a step away from these big bang um, releases. It's been a, oh, let's do phases, yeah. you know, and, and then your phases become shorter and, you know, the shorter they become, the closer you, you are to sort of being a little bit more agile. Um, and even the strategies are now getting shorter and shorter in, in sort of horizons, you see. Yeah, a yeah. Re a real change in thinking there. Yeah, so before you would have seen one, two, three and five year blue horizons, blue sky horizons. Now what you're seeing is that's down to month by month simply because of the digital economy that we're all in. The world changes, new technologies come up, new competitors, startups come up. And these startups and the way that they use technology are very threatening to these big legacy players in a lot of markets too. Yeah, and a lot of the markets, I mean, Grant, you've worked over in, in, all over the world with more volatile markets than, than Australia. Absolutely. Latin America, the, you can go from a boom-bust cycle very quickly, and it's very cyclical. It can be one to two years for the boom-bust, uh, and then down, up, down, up. So you've got to be very nimble on your feet. And, and to be fair, the, those types of countries, they understand how to get through that boom-bust cycle that possibly a first world country like Australia doesn't really have the pain and gain of the boom bust as well. Stan, you've worked in Africa. Is it a similar story there? Yeah, absolutely. There's no clarity that in three or five years' time you're going to be there. And you've got to make sure that you're looking after yourself and therefore the urgency to do something different, the urgency to do to break into new markets, the urgency is, is significantly higher. And Australia... Um, has an amazing economy and has been growing, you know, consistently over the last 25 years. So, the, so the, the, sometimes the urgency is not there. No, it's a good and a bad thing. The good thing is you just got constant growth and that's amazing. But the, but the bad thing is sometimes you rest on your laurels a bit and saying, well, I'm not that urgent to make some significant change because I'm making that progress. And then somewhere along the line, somebody comes and takes a chunk of your market and then you then you then you behind. And so it's, it's quite important. I don't want to go to talking about linking to strategy. There are a couple of points that are quite important. 
doesn't matter what you do. If you're not linking your execution to strategy, you're failing. And that's just fundamental again. Back to fundamentals. But the linking to, the linking to strategy in the traditional world has struggled be, because of the nature of the way we do that. And what has happened over time is you've got these functions or practices, whether you're talking about portfolio management, program management, business analysis, and design, all these things that aren't linking together. So in each step of your delivery, or each step of your change, you, you're starting to dis, you know, dis, disconnect from your strategy. And it's critical that you keep that together. Now, unfortunately, the introduction of Agile has just, has it made it worse? I don't think so. I think it's highlighted the problem. Because now what I'm doing is I'm bringing in an, a, a method that wants to push the boundaries a little bit faster and I want to go harder and faster. So what it does is if you've got a little crack, that just becomes a massive cavity. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's really what's happened is Agile's comes in and said, I can't actually feel the, the requirement or understand the requirement, so I'm going to start producing the requirement. Because Agile focuses heavily on outcomes driven and I want to know what the, what the epic and the user story looks like, which is I need to know what the business change is. Therefore, I, if it's not there, I will build it. I'll create that. And what's happening is because that traceability and, and strategy linkage all the way through to the requirement is, is missing in some of the large change, what we're doing is we're seeing it getting worse in Agile. And that piece really needs it. That's where, again, you know, you talk about, we talk about governance. That linkage all the way through strategy is just getting worse and worse. And if that doesn't, if you don't address that, um, it doesn't matter whether you waterfall Agile, you're going to get more failure. And is that a, an opportunity for those who govern the PMOs or whatever you want to call them? Is that an opportunity for them to add value in this new world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are many ways you can do it um, and who, who, you, who you assign to manage that, but it absolutely is. Um, and again, does it, with, with, uh, certainly in the agile environment, it's easier to do um, because of the nature of, the, of the, the way you do the metrics and the way you manage the data. Um, but the, 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 the service coming out of a PMO function or a portfolio function, again, whatever you call it, is really it's a big ad value add. And Christine, what's your views on sort of these new services or approaches that um, or mindset that the PMO should be taking on in, this, in the new world? Yeah, look, it's not just for the PMO. It's for everyone. You know, so one of the things we've kind of touched on but we didn't go too far down was this transformation um, idea. And I think a lot of um, agile uh, bubbles up within technology and it'll be a very much a, a, a bottom-up approach and it's only much later that uh, executive cotton on and you get somebody at the, uh, the appropriate level that says, hang on a sec, this is a whole of organisation thing. If I'm going to achieve my benefits, we have to go much broader. But, but, and, and they can push that and that's typically when you'll, you'll start being agile as opposed to just following a bunch of processes. Um, that's where the real benefit is and, and to be there and in that space and to be operating, um, you know, uh, at, at, as a high performer, you, you need a growth, a growth mindset and you need to be able to accept, you know, that you can learn and you can change and all that sort of thing if you're, if you're very much in that fixed mindset of, you know, I've done waterfall or I've done, done what I've done for the last 20 years, you know, it ain't broke, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going to change it. It, it. It's just, uh, it, it's kind of past. You know? So when you, when you started your journey, I, I know you've mentioned this before, um, when you started your journey with Agile, I mean, you really embraced it. You really threw yourself into it. 
Look, I did. Um, I didn't think I had an alternative, you know, so I was uh, ahead of a PMO on a large program that had been waterfall for a while, but at the stage that I joined it, they were embarking on an agile transformation. Now, part of me went, well, that's great, at least I'm here in time to be transformed. Um, but I couldn't sit back and wait for somebody to bring it to me. What I had to do, or, or what I quickly realised I had to do, was try and get on a front foot and to, to, to get out amongst it and try and learn as much as I could. And my challenge was I was in the position where I had to measure how these guys were going. I had no idea how to do that. You know, so uh, I was incredibly vulnerable um, and I, you know, I, I connected with people within the program who had lots of agile experience and said to them, how on earth are you going to know how you're going? You know, and spent many a, a whiteboard session with them, with us drawing and all sorts of stuff to try and figure out. And it was my first introduction to Agile Metrics. And then uh, figured, okay, so we can do this and we can do it in Excel and that's great. And I can follow the maths and I understand what we're doing. But quickly realised if we're in a really large program, which we were, we had, you know, hundreds of people on the program, that we would need to come up with something more sustainable than just Excel because hopping in there and doing that, you know, it was, it was good fun for a couple of hours but to be able to continue to do that for the next four or five years we knew was going to kill us, you know, so and we knew it needed to be digitised. We knew within financial services APRA would come knocking and other people so, um, you know, we worked to get it into a tool. But, but it was important that we did that. And, 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 you know, for my personal journey, yes, it was great learning um, processes and, and policy and, you know, methods and all of that sort of stuff. But there's something different about the way you approach problems and, and, and the way you approach learning. Um, and, and I guess that sort of um, pushes towards that agile mindset yep. that you hear people talk about. Yeah, I hear a lot about mindset out there. And I'm, I'm not sure when I get told I don't have the right mindset what that means. Grant, what are your views on, on the whole mindset thing? I think a lot of what this comes back to Stan's point is sponsorship. Um, the executives some, sometimes are a little bit reluctant to say, well, I need to learn about this Agile thing as well. What does it really mean? And some of them come at it from a legacy I'm in control and command of the journey. Others will welcome the fact that they've actually got to be a servant leader, trust and empower the teams to get the right outcomes and stand back a little bit. So it's sort of like a 90 degree switch from control and command to collaboration, trust, empowerment. Um, but you've still got to have that governance piece wrapped around that mindset shift as well to make sure that you can measure the delivery or have some early insights to, hey, we've got a little issue here. What do we do to call this stuff out early? And, and there's a lot of people feel very vulnerable with that that different approach as well. So it's a matter of helping them through that journey and say, hey, it's okay to feel a bit vulnerable. Yeah, because um, that, that can make people quite fearful if we're not careful in the, in the whole Absolutely. transformation. But that comes back to your really good sponsor and leadership saying, well, I don't know either. Let's go yeah. on the journey together. Stan, you're nodding. Yeah. So I think it's really important to... A few things are important. We, 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 we've got to be really careful when we talk about mindset and then you sit there and say, okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, I'm, and I'm lost and I'm scared I'm going to run. And the nature of it, any organisation and any executive, when I'm scared I'm sort of run, I'm just going to shut it down. That's mm -hmm. what I do. Okay, that's how I manage. Okay, And if you say you don't manage it well, I can tell you 80 to 90% of people manage that way because as soon as they threaten, that's the way they're going to react. And it's really the responsibility of, of people in transformation to be able to 
often not just you've got to change your mindset, but help me change my mindset. And you and, and again, it's every there's no one size that fits all. Some organizations are, are desperate and say, tell me and let me let me grow. Some not so desperate. So therefore you've got to find an and what I say the combination of of mindset information and knowledge and sharing, but at the same time as creating mechanisms because we talk about patterns in our life. When we're in a pattern in our life and it works, we love it. We go, you know, and maybe not getting in the car every morning and running to work is the right pattern, but it's a pattern, right? Everything we do, Scrum is a pattern. And when we get into a good, when in a good pattern, we really, really actually, you, if you've got to help an executive to get into a pattern, and therefore, you've got to give them some mechanisms to help them on the journey. And so much do we rather do the leadership or the agile leadership or the mindset training. And we walk away and we say, well, they're going to be different tomorrow. Well, uh, they're, the not, they're not going to be different tomorrow, I can promise you. <laughs> it's never happened. You've got to give them something to practice that, that mindset change. It makes a big difference. Christina, you got an experience in the space? Well, I've got my own personal experience, yeah. but um, for, for me, what's really pivotal is that um, people will um, give it the benefit of the doubt, you know, so I, I think there has to be um, a recognition that trying things a different way might be positive, you know, if, whereas if you've got people who are just saying, I will not try a different way, um, that's a completely different challenge, you know, so for me, it's about being open um, to changes and looking at not... Not every single change that comes along is, is going to work out. Um, similarly with Agile, not, you know, when you, it, it's not as simple as just buying a book and following the instructions. If it were, then, you know, there wouldn't be this whole, um, you know, a whole uh, raft of jobs, you know, jumping up for people to Coaches come and help us do Agile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly it's not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, so I, I think, um, yeah, I think people have just got to be open um, to, to the idea that it could be a better way. And, um, and and to understand that, you know, when you have got that book and you have sort of, you've done your, your training or you've done your learning and you, you're seeing how it could be applied, I think it's understanding that it's very contextual and that every organisation that you're in will have to make certain, you know, adapt, ad, adaptions to get it to work, you know. And, and the way we've, you know, lots of us have seen this happen in organisations, they've um, watch the Spotify video on YouTube and they've gone fantastic. We've got the, the magic formula. We're going to try that in our organisation. They hop in there, they give it a red hot go and it doesn't work. Now, a lot of people are walking away from that and going, oh, it's agile, it's terrible. And that's not the problem at all. And so you know, you've almost taken somebody else's medication and then just yeah. gone, oh, that didn't work so good. And it's like, well, that's yeah. right, because it wasn't for you, you know. So the Spotify model, if you want to call it that, it was great for Spotify. But even they've adapted, you know. So this is about going, all right, there's a whole different way that I could approach things and I'm going to give that a go in my organisation and there will be certain nuances about my organisation where I have to make adaptions because that's what's going to work at my place. I just want to add to that is that, um, again, going back to right as we started, we've got to stop this conversation of agile versus traditional. All agile really is is a tr evolution of delivery. It's not, it didn't start from Agile. It started from Waterfall, <laughs> okay? And Agile is an improvement to the delivery mechanism based on fact, okay? What are the facts? And if you look at the, if you look at the Agile uh, um, uh, uh, manifesto, it doesn't talk about Scrum. <laughs> it doesn't talk, it talks about concepts that delivery has struggled with over time. 
and therefore has improved in it. And then at some point, Scrum said, well, you know what, I've taken all those, those principles and changes and I've embedded a process for a team to work really effectively. And Scrum you know, came alive because it embraced those principles and that evolution of change. So that's why, again, if you keep on bridging the conversation that this is a new way to deliver, but it hasn't thrown away the learnings from the past, it's just evolved on it, it makes a big difference to the conversation at executive level. Grant, you you bobbed your head there when Stan mentioned the word evolution. Well, that's exactly what it is, because a waterfall project has has phases. So all you're really doing is running um, a project that you might now call Agile in two-week phases, and you stop, reflect, how are we going? Are we still aligned? You have a conversation with the customer, and then you move on, you do the next phase. You should really be doing that in waterfall if you're a well-structured, well-disciplined waterfall team anyway. So it's not... As to reinforce what Stan said, it's not the new shiny thing out of the box. It's an evolution to what we've always done. And a lot of people out there are talking about, you know, the transformations has been this massive change in the way they're working and, and, and really kind of doesn't feel like an evolution. That's because it's being presented as the shiny new toy um, that you need to adopt rather than like a hard switch over rather than saying, hey, it's an evolution, not a revolution. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. Folks, on, on that, we're going to um, have to wrap up. Just a, a quick summary is that we've covered a number of different points here, but one of the common threads is this is all about delivery and common sense, and we still have to deliver well, add value, focus on the benefits. Culture and leadership still matter in this game, and there's a, a role to play for everyone in this new world, this multimodal world. It's not exclusive and it's actually quite an inclusive world from what I've been privileged enough to see. Um, just final comments, Stan, as we wrap up? Yeah, I go back to the same thing all the time. The, the, the conversation needs to shift. How do we bring people together to deliver good outcomes? And we've got to interject um, better capability to improve that. And in some cases, that's agile. In some cases, that's not. And we've got to make sure that that's what we're trying to achieve. Christine? Yeah, I think I'm almost going to say the same thing, but different set of words. It's just about trying to find a better way, yeah. you know. And it's just uh, probably more um, consistent and, and shorter time frame to, to get feedback. I'd like to say it's evolution, not revolution, and empower and trust your people. Great. Folks, thank you so much for today's session. I've really enjoyed it. And as usual, I've learned a ton. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.